one of the beautiful things about the Christmas story is that it is incredibly profound and sometimes even mind-boggling to be able to wrap our, our uh, thoughts around what God has done for us. And yet it is amazingly simple that even children can recite it and understand it at the same time. And I think that's the great love of our God, that he wanted to send his message so that all people would know. And so I want to thank all the children this morning who participated and uh, just elevated my spirits uh, this Christmas season. So let's thank them for giving their, uh, their time this morning. Thank you so much. The Spanish city of Ale Cante, Spain, obviously it's in Spain because I said it was a Spanish city, <laughs> went all out this Christmas season. They built the world's largest nativity. It broke the Guinness Book of World Records. It features a 59-foot Joseph and an 11-foot baby Jesus. So moms, don't tell me how big your child was. Just imagine that. And they built this because they felt in this season, which in this year that has been a little tough, they wanted to lift people's spirits up. They wanted to do something uh, that would maybe excite people and also bring tourism back. And so I actually began to question whether this was a brilliant idea in the season of COVID to, to create a public display where the public would gather and maybe spread more COVID to, to help alleviate COVID. But anyways, that was their, that was their thinking. Uh, so I'm thinking that maybe next year we could do this at Orchard Hill, right on our front lawn, uh, put one of these up. It only cost them $170,000. So we will start a GoFundMe campaign today uh, so that we can uh, have this out front of our church. Get her done, we'll be raising the money. And so one of the uh, things uh, why I bring that up is I think just nativities are uh, an amazing part of the Christmas story, obviously. It's what the Christmas story is all about. And I brought a nativity with me this morning. Uh, obviously, it's not as large as the one that they had there. This is Pastor Kathy's nativity. So uh, I apologize in advance if I break it this morning. All right. That's why I didn't bring my own this morning. Um, so... Uh, and we, Amy and I, have several nativities in our house that we, that we put out at Christmas time, and I hope that maybe you have some nativities that you put out as well uh, that is featured there in your Christmas decorations. Because for me, I think the nativity display, when I, when I look at that nativity display, it cuts through the commercialism of Christmas. It cuts through all the, the, the crazy pace of life, the ads that are assaulting us and and so many lights and distractions and food and distractions and all of that. And it cuts right through all of that. And when I pause and I'm able to look at the nativity, it gives me the message of Christmas. And that message of Christmas is this, that God loves you. That God loves you. And I see that when I look at the nativity because I believe each of these characters reveals the love of God to us. If we look at Joseph, I see Joseph here, and Joseph, I believe, reveals the constancy of God's love to us. 
If you look at Matthew chapter 1, as Matthew gives his account of Jesus' life, he starts with the genealogy of Jesus, and typically we skip over that. But I think it's very important, and Matthew thought it was important, so he put it right there, front and center, and we read in verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus. This is the family tree of Jesus. He is the Messiah. That's who Jesus is. He's the one that God sent into the world. And I want you to know that he is the son of David and the son of Abraham. The son of David. Why is that important? Because God said that it would be through the line of King David that the king of the future king of Israel would emerge. The king of Israel would come from the royal lineage of David. In Isaiah chapter 11, remember the prophet said that a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. And so he is saying that from this royal line, this shoot is where the Messiah is going to come. And so what we see here is that Matthew is making the link to that promise of God that he would be, that the Messiah would come from the son of Uh, that he would be a son of David. And he's also the son of Abraham. Now we're going back even further in our Old Testament. Because if you remember in Genesis chapter 12, I believe, is where God came and he made a promise to Abraham. This is the first time that God connected uh, with, with an individual and he said, Abraham, I'm connecting with you and Abraham from you and your descendants. I'm going to create a family for myself. And I'm going to love that family, and I'm going to bless that family. And that family, in turn, will go and bless all the rest of the nations. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And here's the deal. If you blow this whole thing, this promise that I'm making, I will make sure that I keep this promise myself. And so God made that promise. He made the promise to Abraham. He made the promise to David. And God's people just held that in their hearts. The prophets declared it over and over and over again to God's people. These are the promises of God. They held them and then they sang about them in their songs, in the Psalms, over and over again. They sang about about the promises of God through the 400 years of silence. They held on to this hope that God would keep his promises, that he would send a Messiah as he promised that would come from David, that would come from Abraham. That's the promises of God. And here... Do you see what Matthew is saying? He's saying right here in the genealogy of Jesus, he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Starts in verse 2 with Abraham. We make all our way through to David. Then we go through the time in Babylon. And then we get all the way 18 18 centuries later, we come up to Joseph. Joseph, the father of Jesus. And because Joseph, Joseph adopted Jesus. In Judaism, Jesus was heir to all of the promises, and he was heir to all the blessings of that family. And so Matthew is saying right here, here the Messiah that has come, Jesus, the son of Joseph, is the son of David and the son of Abraham. He's the one that God has kept his promises to. And so when I see Joseph in this story, who often is, kind of relegated off to the side i love looking at joseph because what does it tell me about god's love it tells me that god's love is unfailing it tells me that god's love is unfailing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years 
God loved his people. He kept his promises to his people. And then we see in the birth of Jesus Christ the fulfillment of all those promises. And there is Jesus who came to live and dwell among us. It was David himself who declared in Psalm 136, 26, Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. And isn't that a beautiful thing? Because we live in a world where even the best love among us will fail. It will let us down at some time. But the love of God seen here through the generations and the generations and the testimony of Scripture is that God's love is unfailing and it's constant and we can always count on God's love being there. Romans 8.35 says this, What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the answer to that is no. Nothing will separate us from God's love. And today as Jesus Christ enters the world again this Christmas, God is saying to you, here, I love you. I love you with an unfailing love. And I see that here through Joseph. When I look at Mary who is here, I think she reveals the basis of God's love. At Christmas time, we usually focus on the cute little baby that has already been born, but I think with Mary, we, we almost need to think back to how the baby got here. And we see in Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Many of us are familiar with that story as well, because the, uh, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verse 20, uh, we see verse 27, that the angel is coming uh, to a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. And the angel comes and says that you are highly favored. And we read again that the angel came to her because she was a virgin. And then Mary asked the question, how can this be because... I am a virgin. And so we, we see this here as we think about Jesus coming into the world. Sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves and we have to back up and just recognize this, I mean, this incredibly difficult concept to understand. But what we see here is that the way that it happened, according to the angel, when Mary asked the question, how can this happen? The answer was, in verse 30, 36, that the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So whose doing is the birth? It's God's doing. God is coming to earth. God has a plan. And God says, Mary, I'm going to use you. Mary, you're going to be the vessel. And I'm going to take you, who is the material and the supernatural, the spiritual, is going to use you to do something miraculous. And we're going to, I'm going to create a, a, a baby in you who is the son of God who is and why because he has to be sinless in order for him to fulfill his mission he can't come from the line of, of Adam Adam who from the very beginning then infused the rest of humanity with sin he had to be separate and so he's going to be my child born in you free from sin so he can accomplish his mission and the reason I'm doing it is because I love my people and this is the only way my people can be saved. 
This is the only way that my people can come back to me, that they can, can see victory over their sin and the rebellion can stop and we can have our relationship again. They can't do anything about it, but I can. And this is how I'm going to do it. And Mary, I'm going to do it through you. And the beautiful thing is that Mary simply said, I'll be the servant. Let it happen. And so in Mary, we, we get this, this, this virgin birth. And for me, this tells me uh, really that, that when I look at the boundaries of God's love and the limits of, uh, the, I'm sorry, the basis of God's love, that it's found in God, in God alone. Why do we have this whole Christmas story? Because of God. God came to Mary. He didn't ask her permission. The angel came and said, this is what's going to happen. This is what, the way it's going to go. I'm coming to earth. This is the deal. Uh, you're, I'm going to overshadow you. You're going to give birth to a king. And he didn't, he, I mean, he didn't beat her. He didn't push it through. He gently talked to her. And God came and brought his love in that way. And that's amazing to me when I, when I look at Mary and think about that, that we have a God who the very core of his being is not to judge us, is not to send us burning in hell, but the very core of God's being is to love us. And God's love comes after us. He initiates it. We love. This is love. Not that we love God, says 1 John. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son. That's how we know what love is. Love is God. We love because God first loved us. At the very beginning is God's love. And that is also good news. As we live here in this world, and sometimes we think no one loves us. We think I can never be loved. And if you knew me, you, you wouldn't love me. And when I look at Mary, I say, all of that's wrong. Because there is a love of God, the basis of God's love is that he loves you. And he wants you. And he sent his son into the world for you. And so I hope you hear that this morning. That God loves you and pursues you and took the initiative to love you. I see that in Mary. When I look at the manger, the manger shows to me the limits of God's love. It shows to me the limits of God's love. Here in Luke 2, we're very familiar with the story. It said, Mary, Luke 2, verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, we who live in the West, Western culture, most of us uh, have grown up thinking that a manger is something that's made out of wood. But if you were in first century Judea, a manger was something that was made out of stone. Why was it made out of stone? Because what is the most abundant resource in Israel? Stone. If you went with us on our trip to Israel, you would have realized that it is stone-covered land. Stone and more stone and more rocks. And so we have trees, so we always think, oh, let's build something out of trees. Their first thought is to build things out of stone. And what we would find is that these mangers, uh, this is a picture of one 
that we saw on our trip in a place called Megiddo, which if from your Old Testament is where King Ahab kept his horses. And that's where this one is from. Go dates back to the Old Testament. But most homes also had a manger in them. Now that sounds like a crazy deal. That most homes would have a manger in them. And the reason is, is because most of the homes, and we can see here in the first century in this next slide, most of the homes were one room. That was the typical home here in Palestine at this time. It was a one-room home. Uh, some of them had an uh, up above. If you go up the stairs, there would be an upper room, or what sometimes would be called the guest room could be built up there. The kataluma is the Greek word used for that. And that's the word that we get here in Luke chapter 2. Kataluma meaning guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room. If uh, This is the word that we also get when Jesus had the Lord's Supper. And they said, let's go to the upper room, kataluma, the exact same word. It is not an inn. Okay, it's not an inn. Uh, Luke has another word that he uses for inn. And like, if you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, he knows the word for inn. He doesn't use it here. This is a guest room. And most likely, Mary and Joseph were in a home. And that also speaks to the hospitality that happens in, in that culture. That if Joseph shows up in Bethlehem with his family, they're just going to bring him in. They're going to bring him in. But what happens when you bring people into your house and you don't have room? You put them in the living room, right? You put them on the couch. You say, well, you can sleep in the chair. We don't have room up in there, but you're welcome to sleep down here. And that's where Mary and Joseph were, in the down here family area. And during the day, they would uh, engage in their family activities there. They would engage in the, the crafts of the family, the work of the family. And then at night, in that very lower level, that's where they would do all this work during the day, then at night, they would bring their animals into that area. Yeah, they would bring the animals into their house. Sounds kind of crazy to us, but they didn't want them stolen at night. They wanted them cared for at night. They didn't want them attacked by animals. They would bring them into their house. And so they would bring straw in, and they would put straw into the manger scene. And then in the morning, they would take the animals out. They would clean that whole area up. They would begin to do their family work there, enjoy their family business. And at night, they'd bring the animals back in. And that was kind of the rhythm of the day in their life. So you can begin to see here that Mary and Joseph, there was no room in the guest room or the upper room. There was no space. So they're, they're living in this area, this lower level area, and Mary begins to give birth. And she gives birth, and it says to us that she placed him in a manger. Well, that's convenient. There's a manger right there. They didn't have a great Graco pack and play available. There was the manger. It was the most obvious thing. They wouldn't think twice about putting the baby into a nice straw-filled manger, and there was the baby in the manger. And when I think about that, that astonishes me. Because it tells me that our God, who left the glory of heaven and condescended himself and, and put himself, Emmanuel, God with us, into the form of a human being, into a baby. Are you grasping that? That the almighty, sovereign, transcendent God, the God who created everything, are you grasping who God is and that he would take all of who he is and take the shape of a baby? And then where did that baby go? into an animal feeding trough. 
Well, that's quite a move, isn't it? To leave the glories of heaven and end up in an animal feeding trough. Philippians talks about that. They said that's exactly what Jesus did. He left the glories of heaven because he wanted to serve us. And so he took the shape of a human being. And it tells me that if God would go through all of that, there are no limits to what God would do. Because I can't think of any other, any other hurdle that God would have to cross to, to extend his love to us than what he did in this act of putting Jesus in the manger. God loves us. And without limit. And the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the Ephesians, he said, I just wish that you would know how long and how wide and how high and how deep is the Savior's love for you. And you want to know how long and wide it is and, and, and how, how deep it is for you? Look in the manger. There is God. And that is such good news to know that God will do anything to get his love to us. Because in our world, that's not how love often works. Love has limits in our world a lot of times. You cross this line, I'm done. I'm out. I'm gone. But that's not our God. I'm coming after you. And I will do everything I can. I will cross every border that has to be crossed. Even, even God putting yourself in the form of a baby and going into a man. Yes, I will do that. Because I love you. And so it shows me that God's love for us is boundless. Do you see it there? In the manger? Luke 2 then brings us, as we think about the nativity scene, to, to our final character, the shepherd. When I look at the shepherds, I think of the focus of God's love. The focus of God's love. We are told in, in Luke 2, verse 6, that the shepherds were out in their fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Here's a, a photo of a place that, again, that we visited in, in Israel uh, on this, this mountain that looks there. It's actually a man-made mountain by King Herod. And then King Herod built uh, the picture that's on your right would be a palace on top of this mountain. And why did Herod do it? Just because he could. And he built it out here uh, in the middle of the fields. And you can see some of the remnants there that you can still tour and see today. But right here is something that's called the Herodian, a place that we were able to stop and see. But what I love is when you get to the top of the Herodian, this is the view that you get. And if we see the next picture here, that's the panoramic landscape of the Bethlehem shepherd fields looking out. Obviously it's summer, so it's brown. Uh, but these are the fields of Bethlehem. These are the fields of Luke chapter 2. This is where the shepherds hung out. Because what we're told is that if you know Bethlehem, it's about five miles from Jerusalem. Jerusalem at Passover time, what is sacrificed at Passover time in Jerusalem? The sheep are sacrificed. And what kind of sheep has to be sacrificed there? Leviticus, a perfect sheep has to be sacrificed there. And we are told at Passover time that roughly 260,000 perfect lambs are sacrificed during Passover. That's a lot of perfect lambs. You can also think of the unperfect lamb 
And we're told that they have to be raised within six miles of Jerusalem. Bethlehem is five miles away. This is prime sheep-raising territory. And these shepherds are out in these fields raising these sheep. And it says they're watching over their flock by night. Often what we find in the fields is this here. You will find these towers that are placed out in the fields. The shepherds can be on the top there watching over their flocks by night, watching for animals to approach, watching for ones who may be giving birth, watching for all kinds of reasons. The area inside there, they can bring the ones that need care or help or keep them free. And so you can begin to see how the land supports the story. The shepherds were watching over their flocks by night when the angel of the Lord came to them and brought them good news. The angel comes to the shepherds and makes the declaration that I have good news tonight is born a Savior. The one that God's been promising for hundreds and hundreds of years. He is born tonight. And, and, and yet somehow the angels are bringing this very first message to the, to the shepherds, to these guys out in the, the fields, to the ones who were, who were uh, on the fringes of society, to the ones who uh, were sort of maybe kind of outcast a little bit, to the ones who could never engage in the spiritual life of the church because they were always ritually impure and unclean. And, and this is where God is making the first announcement to. i got to believe that the angels had their GPS all messed up. It seems to me that they might have just gone another, another mile further and they would have landed in the Herodian. That had to be where they were going, right? You're going to announce the birth of a king, you're going to show up at the palace. Go to the Herodian. Tell him at the palace, here's the king. Tell the, tell, he's a royal king, he's coming. Or maybe they should have went the other direction and landed in Jerusalem and woke up the high priest and opened up the spiritual leaders and said, here, the king is coming, the one that you've been preaching and teaching on, he's coming. But to not go to the temple and not to go to the palace, but to land right in the middle of the field and tell the shepherds, that tells me a lot about God, doesn't it? It tells me a lot about the love of God. It tells me that God's love is for all people. That God's love is for all people. By bringing the message to the shepherds first, God said, these are the ones that I want to know first. I'm not here for the politically powerful. I'm not here just for the religious powerful. I'm here for all people. The good news of great joy is this, that he is here to save all people. For God so loved the world. That's who God is here for. And I see that in the shepherds, that God's love is for all of us. And the Apostle Paul reiterated this. He said, if you are in Jesus Christ, there is no uh, Jew or Greek. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. Those were the dividing lines of the day. And he's saying, no, we're not dividing. God didn't come just for, for you Greek or for you Jewish males. God came for all people. And that's our God. And I see that here in the life of the shepherds, that God's love is all-encompassing. For all people. And that's incredibly good news as well. Because maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not in on this. I'm not good enough. I, I'm not, I don't walk in the right circles. I'm not spiritual enough for God. And what we see is that God says, I don't care. 
I'm here for all people. I love all people. So friends, I hope that part of your Christmas season involves taking some time to just pause and center your life around the nativity of what God's action on that very first Christmas Eve, Christmas Day was about. Because when you look at it, you only walk away with one conclusion, and that is that I'm loved by God. I am loved by God. And I want you to see and hear that message today. I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know all your stories. I know some of them. But I'm guessing there are many of us here this morning that need to hear this message of God's love. Because in order for us to, I think, to receive the king and receive God's love, it may be that we need to make some room in our lives for it. As I was wrestling with it through this passage this week, the application for me in my life was this, that I know that this is God, that God loves me, that God has this uh, all-encompassing love, that God, you know, has no limits in loving me, that God is pursuing me with love. And for me to make room for that love, I have to do this. I have to get rid of my negative self-talk. Maybe even negative, I don't want to use the word hatred, that may be too strong, but I can be very hard on myself. Uh, from how I look to what I do, I can evaluate and I can, I can just be pretty, pretty brutal to me. That's not of God. And if I'm in God, I've got to let all that stuff go. And how freeing it was for me this week to go, I can, let, I can let go of all that stuff. Because you know what? This is God who loves me in an incredible way. I don't doubt it. Look right here. I see it. And so for me, I need to get rid of that stuff so that I can make room for God in my life. And maybe you're here and, you, and you're like Joseph and, and, and you've got to make room in your understanding and go, I don't, I don't quite get this, but but God, I'm wrestling with this, and i got to make some room and put my preconceived ideas uh, off to the side. Maybe you're like the shepherds, and you just got to leave what you're doing and go check it out. Go 100% commitment. I don't know what you need to do. But God's love is here for us. And he wants to give it to you this Christmas season again in a fresh way. And so I just want to encourage you to receive it, to take it in, and just, just as, as, as Wendy said earlier, the, the love of God is that he lavishes it on us. That is such a beautiful word, isn't it? It, it makes me think, and maybe I've shared this before, that when you're at the, uh, I, I had a, a, a waitress who was out of control at a table one time. I would drink like three sips of water, and she'd be right back and fill it up. And, and then you drink another, and she's right, she was always filling that cup up. I could never get it down to the bottom. In fact, it became a challenge that all of a sudden I would try to pick it up and drink as much as I can so I could just, and she would always be there filling up, doing her job. That's what she was meant to do. But it made me think of that, that as soon as it drains, boom, there's more. There's more in it, more in it. And that's the love of God, that he just keeps pouring it on us, pouring it on us, lavishing it on us. That's your God. That's who he is. And how do we know? Because he sent Jesus into the world. And this story tells us so. Will you receive him this Christmas? God, we thank you for 
your story that's been preserved through these years. And as we dig into the details and we, we, we look at it, we realize what an awesome God you are. We know that the enemy wants to put, put messages in our head that you are not a good God, that you are a vengeful God, you are a wrathful God, you are a God who doesn't care. But the truth, the truth of the word and the truth of the story is, God, that you love us. And we rejoice in that again this Christmas season. So God, I just want to ask for each person here this morning that your spirit would speak to them, that your spirit would touch them, and that they would be able to make room in their life and receive you in this season. Thank you. 
Just a reminder that we as a community are going to celebrate uh, Jesus' birth on a Christmas Eve. We are having, uh, in this, as we're responding to what's going on around us, we're having two services this year so we can be spread out, one at 4 and one at 6. Those will also be available online as well. And so we are trusting that we can gather safely uh, just to celebrate together uh, this beautiful gift of God that he has given us in Jesus Christ. If you are... Uh, one of the young people that are here, for all the children that are in our programs and in our community, we have a gift for you this Christmas season, and it's right back there at the uh, children's check-in counter. You probably can find Miss Miranda back there, and we'd love to give that to you this morning. If you're not here and you're watching online, our doors will be open this week, and you may come in and receive those gifts, because we'd love to get them into the hands of all of those who are in our children's ministry, many who we haven't seen for a while. We miss you. And uh, looking forward to seeing you again. There are cards on your way out uh, by the door. They're little invite cards. Encourage your friend, your neighbor, your coworker to maybe join us online at Christmas Eve or even in person uh, if they want to do that as well. So let's get the, the good news is not to keep. The good news is to share. And so let's go from this place and share those good news. Uh, people of God, may uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit bless you now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in love.